Donkey. Donkey. Where are you? Donkey? Who are you? It's not a very good answer. More importantly, have you seen a donkey? I see you have a cross. Do you know the story of the cross? I was there, you know. I watched as he died. I watched at a distance. Would you like to hear the story? I'll tell you anyway. My name is Thomas. I grew up in a typical Jewish home at a not-so-typical time in history. I was a twin. In fact, some people call me Didymus. It's not a very good nickname because it means twin. In Jewish circles, if you're a twin, there is some crazy expectations because our forefathers were full of famous twins that did miraculous and amazing things. But me and my twin, we were pretty regular. Part of being a regular Jewish boy was being very, very religious. From the earliest memories that I have, I remember learning and studying and reciting the Torah. That's our Old Testament law. When I grew up, I continued to fulfill the laws that I felt like I needed to fulfill. Everybody did, but I was pretty good at it. I had to obey all 613 laws of the Torah. I had to obey all of the laws that helped me to obey the laws of the Torah, including things like not taking too many steps on Saturday. I had to go to synagogue once a week, make sure I rested on the Sabbath, take three treks a year to Jerusalem for the big Jewish holidays, including Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. And, and I did everything. And then I had to make sure that I avoided people that were ceremonially unclean because I didn't want God to make me ceremonially unclean. And I also had to hope that I never got sick. Looking back on it, it, it was kind of overwhelming and almost laughable, right? But I was really, really good at it. Better than most of my friends anyway. But here's the crazy part. And I know you may not believe me. But even though I was so religious, and by every standard that the world has, I was a good person, I felt completely unfulfilled. And I felt far from a God that I desperately longed to know. That is until the day I met Jesus. But I should back up. One day I was sitting at my job and some friends came up to me and they said, Hey, there's a guy out in the wilderness. His name is John. And he is preaching a baptism of repentance. And he is baptizing people. I thought, well, that sounds a little crazy. I think I'll stay at work today. But I kept hearing about this man over and over and over again. So finally I said, well, I'm going to go check out this guy that's crazy out in the wilderness. I went out to hear John speak. And he was preaching that people should change the way that they were living because God's promised one that we Jewish people had looked forward to for thousands of years was coming to the earth. It's crazy because I was living such a good life. But when John said that I needed to live differently and I needed to change my heart, something clicked inside of me. I was changed that day. John baptized me. I loved John. He was amazing and I wanted to follow him. I thought I would. But John kept saying, I am not the promised one. One comes after me who is even greater than I am. I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. I desperately wanted to know who it would be. I'd go out to hear John speak in the wilderness as often as I possibly could. And one day I was out there and John was in the middle of the sermon and he stopped 
And he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. I did not know it was him, but the one who sent me to baptize said that the one that the Spirit comes upon and rests upon, that is the promised one. I testify because I have seen that he is the one. I pushed my way through the crowd. I jumped up and down trying to get a view of the man that John called promised. I pushed some more people. I shoved. I ducked. I dived. I got to where I could see the man that I now know as Jesus. But I didn't meet Jesus that day. It wasn't until later when he started his public ministry. I heard him teach. Instantly I was blown away. You see, John taught in a way that was powerful and different and impactful, but Jesus' preaching was infinitely greater than that. I was hooked and I decided to become his follower. At first there were dozens of us who committed our lives to Jesus, who said, I'll go where you go so that I can learn from the things that you say. One day Jesus went up to a mountain and he prayed all night long. And when he came back, he looked at us. He said, I've chosen 12 of you to be my closest friends and my closest followers. I could not believe when he said my name. I still don't know why he said my name. I was just an ordinary guy following an extraordinary man. But I'm really glad he did. From that point on, my life was changed along with the other 11. We would travel everywhere Jesus went, all around the region. And Jesus would come into a town. He would preach in their synagogues. He would heal people. And he would do some crazy, crazy miracles. It was an awesome time to be alive. We saw some of the most amazing things. Like this one time. We were out on a boat, which was pretty normal for us. We often traveled by sea. And a huge storm came. And I thought, well, this is no big deal. Several of the guys on the boat with me are fishermen. They're used to this type of stuff. But when I looked at them and they were like, ah, then I knew that we had a problem on our hands. So I started going, ah, what do we do? What do we do? And I was running around like a crazy man. And then out of nowhere, somebody just said, hey, where's Jesus? And I thought, yeah, where's Jesus? He must have fallen in. The waves were coming over the edge. He must have been taking a sea. And then somebody else said, I saw him go below to the stern to take a nap. We all stumbled our way to the stern. We walked down the stairs. Jesus was fast asleep. We said, hey, Jesus, there's a giant storm. Don't you even care if we die? Jesus woke up, rubbed his eyes, said, hey, don't doubt. Walked up the stairs, rebuked the wind and the waves, said, be still, be quiet. And immediately the storm stopped. Another time, Jesus' cousin had just died. And so we went away again into the wilderness to be alone so that Jesus could mourn and pray. But Jesus was so popular by that time because of his amazing teaching and his amazing miracles that thousands and thousands of people came out into the wilderness to see him and be healed by him. If there was ever a time for Jesus to say, hey, just go away. I'm kind of busy right now. I got things going on. I'm sad. I just lost a family member. Just leave me alone. That was it. In fact, I wanted to say it for Jesus. But Jesus looked at that crowd and he had compassion on them. And he spent the whole day teaching them and healing them. Got late into the evening and me and the other 11 thought, we have a problem on our hands. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, and we don't have any food for these people. And so we went to Jesus, and we said, hey, Jesus, we don't have any food. And Jesus said, hey, give them something to eat. We said, well, we didn't say this, but we thought it. Jesus, you're crazy. 
We have five loaves of bread and two fish. There's like 10,000 people out there, man. And Jesus looked at us, seeing the doubt in our eyes, and said, have them, have them sit down on the grass. And we had them sit down on the grass, and then he said a prayer, and he said, now pass out the food. And we begin to pass out the food. And it kept going and going and going until every person had eaten and been fully satisfied. Now you might say, what did that look like? You know, or like things happening. I don't remember, to be honest with you, and I didn't understand it at the time, and I'm sure that I never will. I just know that with five loaves of bread and two fish, every person was fed. But it wasn't the miracles that made me love Jesus. It wasn't the miracles at all that made me love Jesus. Instead, it was the way that he cared about me and the other 11 disciples. You see, thousands and thousands of people were coming out into the middle of nowhere to hear him and be healed by him, yet he treated each of us like we were the very most important person in the entire world. Jesus took us alone as the 12 and he taught us. He took us alone one-on-one to pray with us and to talk to us and to see how we were doing on this journey that we were now on with him. He cared deeply about us and he loved us. And so I loved him tremendously. I would have followed Jesus anywhere. In fact, I was willing to die for Jesus. And you know what? I proved that I was willing to die for him once. Perhaps in my greatest moment. You see, we were, we were traveling and Jesus got a message from some messengers that his friend named Lazarus was sick. No big deal, right? Jesus heals everybody. He can go heal one of his best friends on the earth. Not a problem, except there was a problem. Lazarus lived in a city called Bethany in a region called Judea. They're similar to your states. And in that region, most of the religious leaders live. And you say, well, that sounds good. Religious leaders are nice sometimes. I mean, no big deal, right? But here's the thing. The religious leaders at the time in which I lived absolutely hated Jesus. You say, well, I haven't heard too many things bad about Jesus. How could they have hated him? Well, looking back and analyzing and trying to figure that out, I only have two answers. I think that they were jealous and that they were scared. They were scared that Jesus was going to take away their power. They were scared that Jesus was going to start a, a, a hostile takeover of Rome but lose and that the Jewish nation would be crushed forever and ever. They were scared that Jesus was going to throw away their traditions and their laws that they had hung so tightly to for years and years and years. And I think they were just scared about what might happen if Jesus' popularity and fame kept growing in the world. And so they hated Jesus. They hated him so passionately that we were scared that if we went to the region of Judea where there was many of them, then we all might be put to death. And so it was no surprise when Jesus did nothing for two days. Sad that Laz, that's what we call them, is sick, but there's nothing that Jesus can do about it because if we go there, we're all going to die. So it's better, you know, Lazarus goes and not me. But then after two days, Jesus looked the 12 of us and he said Lazarus is dead it is better that we were not there so that you could believe we are going to him the middle part made no sense to me but the first and last part made perfect sense Lazarus was dead and we were going there all of us were scared each of us disciples were looking at each other like what do we do do we go with him are we willing to risk this in my best moment I looked at the other 11 And I said, let us 
go to that we may die with him. We went. Lazarus was dead when we got there, just like Jesus had said, and Jesus raised him from the dead. It was crazy. I mean, it was pandemonium everywhere. People were going nuts. People were coming to see Jesus. They wanted to be healed. If they had a cough, they would come and find out about how they could get rid of it. I mean, things were going nuts. It seemed like the whole world was going to come to Jesus. But truthfully, there were many who hated Jesus all the more. The religious leaders that I just mentioned... If they hated Jesus before Lazarus came back from the dead, then they passionately hated him after Lazarus came back from the dead. They feared that he was going to do something that was going to cause them problems. And so from that point on, they, even more than before, wanted Jesus to die. We were glad to get going. Jesus said, pack up the bags. We're headed out of this region. We all willingly went, but we had a problem on our hands In just a short time, Passover was coming. I don't know if you're familiar with the celebration of Passover. Passover is a Jewish festival where we celebrate our exodus from Egypt where we were slaves. It's a really, really big deal for the Jewish people. And one of the things we do, as I said, was part of my annual ritual, is to travel to Jerusalem for that. And everybody wanted to know one thing that year. Is Jesus going to show up in a region filled with people who hate him to celebrate the Passover. Well, Jesus looked at us pretty straightforward way, said, we're going to Jerusalem. So we started to walk towards Jerusalem and tons of crazy things happened on the way. Jesus healed blind people. Jesus healed lepers. But that was all kind of normal to us. What stands out now looking back is the fact that Jesus, in a very straightforward way, while we were making that journey, looked into our eyes and said, when we get to Jerusalem, I will be arrested by sinners. I will be handed over and I will be flogged. I will be mocked and I will be crucified. Here's what's so strange. It was one of the most straightforward things Jesus ever said to us. But we were so used to him speaking in metaphor and parable and simile that we kind of looked at him and went, hmm, wonder what that means. He'll tell us the point later when the crowds aren't around. We thought he must be talking about, you know, humbling himself or being nice to people or showing love or something like that. We had no idea that he was telling the cold hard truth. So we traveled to Judea. We stopped where Lazarus lived in the city of Bethany. We hung out there and things were crazy. Lots of people who loved Jesus, wanted to be around Jesus, wanted to know Jesus. Lots of people who didn't like Jesus, wanted Jesus to be arrested, wanted Jesus to die. We went into the city of Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people came and they chanted as Jesus rode in on a donkey, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the twelve of us thought we have done it. There is no way that they can arrest and kill Jesus when this many people love him. When this many people are declaring him king, there is no way that things can go badly now. In fact, there may be enough people for us to overthrow the Roman government and have the freedom that we have so desperately longed for for so long. 
But as the week went on, something became apparent. Jesus wasn't going to throw over any government. That wasn't his goal. That wasn't his aim. Every night during that week of Passover, we would travel out of the city and we would stay in an olive grove. Jesus would pray. He would teach us. On Thursday of that week, Jesus said, I want to celebrate Passover with you all. He thought, well, it's a day early, but that sounds good to us. We ate the Passover meal, and afterwards, Jesus looked at us. He said to us, every one of you are going to abandon me. Peter looked right back at him and said, I won't. Jesus looked right back at him and said, Peter, tonight you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. We didn't have time to be hurt by the magnitude of what Jesus had said because the next thing we knew, Jesus was continuing his teaching like he hadn't said something so hurtful and so big. And he said to us, Believe in me. Where my Father is, there are many mansions. And I am going to prepare a place for you. Why would I say it if it's not true? I will come back for you to take you so that you can be where I am. And he ended it by saying, you know the way to where I am going. Well, I was fed up at this point. I looked right back at Jesus. I said, hey, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said something to me that would only make sense later. He looked back staring right into my eyes, but talking to the twelve of us. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Immediately after Jesus finished his teaching, we went out into the olive grove. He left nine of us in a cave, and he took three, James, John, and Peter, out further into the olive grove so that he could pray and be alone. The nine of us fell asleep. The next thing I knew, there was a commotion happening in the olive grove. And the nine of us woke up immediately. We frantically started running. And we found throngs of soldiers there to arrest Jesus. I was ready to fight. I was ready to die. Peter took out a sword and cut one of the men's ears off. I was ready to fight. I was ready to die. And then Jesus reached up. He healed the man's ear. And he said, do what you have come to do. Jesus was willingly arrested and led away. I didn't know what to do. I thought we were going to fight, but now it seemed clear that Jesus was unwilling to fight. And so I and the other 11 fled. But I followed Jesus at a distance. I watched as they led him into the palace of the high priest that year. They took him upstairs and I couldn't see, but I knew that they were unfairly trying him. Hours later, they brought Jesus out. His hands were tied, but that's not what stuck out. His face was bloody. I continued to follow at a distance. Jesus was being willingly led to a Roman official's house named Pilate. As he walked, I thought, free yourself. 
Call down angels. Do a miracle. Please, Jesus, do something. But Jesus did nothing. And he entered the house of Pilate. Pilate said, hey, what did you arrest him for? The Jewish leaders looked back and gave some nonsense answer that made no sense at all. And Pilate said, hey, you'd put him on trial. And they looked back at him and said, we have no right in this country to execute people. I couldn't believe my ears. Jesus had done nothing wrong. How could they talk of execution? Pilate took Jesus behind closed doors, probably to interview him, to see what he had to say for himself. The next thing I knew, Jesus was being led to Herod, another Roman leader at our time. The hours he was gone were excruciating. I didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus came back. Pilate talked to him again, came out, said, I have found nothing wrong with this man. And the religious leaders riled up the crowd. And the next thing I knew, the worst words that I've ever heard were being chanted. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate gave the execution order. They took Jesus. They beat him first with their fists. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head. Blood came down. They put a robe on him. And they beat him with their staffs face was almost unrecognizable. And they tied him to a piece of wood. And they scourged him. With every snap of the metal-filled whip, his body just writhed with pain. I wanted to do something, but I didn't. They tied Jesus to a cross, and they made him carry it. He carried it until he could no longer carry it because of exhaustion. A man helped him carry it until they got to a place called Golgotha, which means the skull. They nailed Jesus to a cross. My friend, my Lord. I was crushed. I was crushed like nothing I had never, ever known. So I went back home. I went back home with a new resolve to never let crushed hopes hurt me again. I hardened myself instantly. I said, I will never allow myself to think that life can be better than what it is. Hope is hope. Life is life. Reality is real. Went back home. Went back to the real world knowing that even though I would continue to practice my religion like the rest of the people that I knew, that religion would always be unfulfilling. The rest of the disciples stayed in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. When they were home, they said, Hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And I looked at them with the stare of a killer with a broken heart and said unless I see the marks in his hands unless I touch where they put the nails and where they stabbed him with a spear I will not believe they invited me to come celebrate 
the Lord's day with them. We were behind closed doors. All of a sudden, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Peace be with you. I couldn't believe my ears. He looked right at me. He said, Thomas, put your hands in the nail holes. Put your hands in my side. Stop doubting and believe. I fell on my knees before him. I wept on his feet. And I cried out, my Lord and my God. It was both the greatest and the worst moment of my life. I felt so much shame. But so much excitement. Can I tell you something? The most important thing that you can do is believe. I know that some of you have been hurt. Perhaps you've been hurt by religion, as was I. Maybe you had a favorite pastor who was a great preacher, and you found out he was having an affair. Maybe you had parents who were at the church every single day, and they abused you when they got home. Maybe you went to a church once, expecting to find love and friendship and real relationship, but nobody said hi to you. You see, when Jesus died, I knew that it was the religious leaders who did it to him. I knew that it was the Romans who had nailed him to the cross. But somewhere deep inside of me, I blamed him. Somewhere deep inside of me was a feeling, a belief that Jesus had let me down. How could he get my hopes up and then willingly die? How could he fulfill me in such amazing ways and then be willing to walk away with those religious people? I knew that it was the religious leaders, but I felt like it was Jesus. And I know that some of you experience that very same thing. Some of you know the very hurts that I'm talking about right now inside of you. And it is preventing you from believing in Jesus. Because you're blaming him, not the people who did it. Sometimes I ask myself a question. It's a question that's honestly hard for me to ask myself, but I do. If I lived today, would I believe? For me, it took touching and seeing and hearing the voice of Jesus. But if I lived today and I could not experience any of those things, then would I truly believe. I don't know. They call me Doubting Thomas, and that is what I am. I can only offer you this. I know that the greatest thing that you can do is believe. I understand that if you've been hurt, it is difficult. I understand if you can't see and touch and feel and hear proof, then it is difficult. But I know that because of my belief, because Jesus offered me such amazing grace to say, Thomas, touch me. 
It's okay that you doubted. Just touch me and stop doubting and believe because he offered that to me. I stand here as a believer with a changed heart and life. You see, after I touched Jesus and after I left the doubt, as Jesus said, and I believed, I I was sold out for Jesus even more than before he had died in front of my eyes. I did everything I could do to spread the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection for the sin and the life of humanity to everybody that I could. I went further than any of the other disciples all the way to India where I did die for Jesus. So I'm not saying it's easy to believe. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that the most important thing that you can do is believe. Jesus said something else to me that day. He said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. And then he said this, and it's very important for you. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What I want you to know is simply... That my life, after I came to that belief, was so much better, so much greater, so much more fulfilled, so much more profound. It had so much more purpose. It was so much better. I understood that forgiveness that came through Jesus could even forgive doubt. And I I relished in it for the rest of my life. But Jesus promised that you who cannot see and touch and hear and feel will be even more blessed than me. Thank you for letting me tell you my story today. God bless you all.